everyone, and welcome to the sixth episode of Friday Nightmares and our finale in our four-part series for Creature Features. I am one half of your hosting team, Heather Powell, coming to you today from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and with me is Scott Crawford, coming to you from Swartz Creek, Michigan, and yeah, I must say, this has been an interesting uh, ride with these Creature Feature episodes, and I can't believe we're finally on the last leg of it. You know, I never in a million years thought I'd be talking this much about creature features. And right? uh, we did um, a trivia night with our boss last week. And Jerry asked directly if one of the reasons why we expanded it to four episodes was because of him. And I said, yes. Yes, it was yep. Jerry. Um, because Jerry said to us, well, you know, that's a lot to do in one episode. And well, we listen to our boss when our boss tells us things. So especially when they make sense like that, they do make sense. And, you know, this was our breaking down of creature features. Of course, you know, everyone may have a different perspective and stuff that they take on creature features, but this was ours. So thank you everyone for coming on the ride. Yes, this has been a lot of fun. I've, uh, a lot of the research we have done for this has been very, uh, fascinating to find out about a lot of these films i mean obviously like we were saying like we haven't cut there there's so much that we missed when we we're talking about this but there's just so much to cover it's hard to really fit it all in like we could go on and on and on and on but like the way we broke this down into the different parts i think is the best way that we could have done it i think so too and um you know it's funny we didn't talk about one of my favorite creature films and i'm just going to mention it now which is jeepers creepers um, and I know about the director, I understand, but I love that film when it came out. I really did. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was suspenseful. Some of the special effects don't hold up today. Um, and obviously many other issues with today, but I really loved Jeepers Creepers when it first released. And we haven't talked about that and we won't be. Um, so I just mentioned it now. Yeah, well, I almost added it to my research stuff because mm. it does fit into our topic of monsters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I figured I'm like ah oh, that one's just kind of a touchy subject so I'll just avoid that one um, it is and for good reason and for very good reason right but if I just go back and think of Justin Long and the other characters in there and the creature and I remove the director from it I have fond memories but of course you know due to what we now know obviously there's a lot of inappropriateness that occurred and things that were just wrong and and it is what it is but the concept of the creeper it, I think is a really cool idea Oh, absolutely. And uh, that actually, just because you brought it up, I'll, the this was my very first time ever going to a theater by myself, was going to see Jeepers Creepers uh, at, on the big screen. You know, I've never been to a theater alone yet. You have not? No. Wow, no. yeah. Uh, that just goes to show how lonely I am then. <laughs> no, not at all. I think a lot of people go see movies by themselves. Venom goes and see Venom from No More Room in Hell, Fresh Cuts, and I don't know, any other podcast that's on the Horophilia Network, uh, goes to see movies by himself all the time. I just think it takes a lot of confidence. And I've been thinking of doing it, and I was going to start, and then COVID happened, and yep. that was not happening. And um, speaking of COVID... This would have been the weekend we would have finally got back together to record in person, and we would have been talking about our wonderful experiences at Motor City Nightmares. It's true. Dang it. <laughs> yeah, it's sad. You know, and it's a beautiful weather uh, for both of us. We live three hours apart, right? So, like, our yeah. weather is generally speaking close to the same well besides um, uh earlier this week when it was snowing like crazy over here yes but you know what that could be the same here it could be snowing up in Sudbury which is five hours away and 
you know, but generally speaking, we're not going to have stuff that's too crazy. But yeah, it's, um, it's been, it's been sad, but I, I wore my necklace. I'm going to post a picture to our page in a bit. Um, as well as my kill the class tank top, because that's what I would have been wearing if we had gone to Motor City Nightmares. Uh, so, you know, if you can't be there, at least dress the park, I guess. Yeah, right. And uh, hey, we're still hanging out. That's true. We are still hanging out. And, and we're uh, still recording, which we would have been doing. <laughs> and we're still recording. And we've learned how to do it online, which I think is really awesome. But I guess we should get into the movies because we got, we've been watching a lot with not live in the house. <laughs> yeah, I'll say like, and plus, uh, you know, watching while we're working and stuff like that too. <laughs> well, absolutely. And I work from home right now. So it's really easy for me to have a movie on the background, unless of course I'm in a meeting or, or something like that. Let me tell you, it's hilarious watching people use Zoom for the first time, right? They're like, oh, Hello? I can imagine. Can you see me? Can you, can you see me? Uh, wait, uh, is my mic on? Or like, <laughs> they don't have a headset like you or I have, and they're just using the computer mic and like, someone's in the kitchen making food and a, you know, a truck goes by and dogs are barking. Like my dog barks too. And I thought he was going to bark two seconds ago. And I was just glaring at him like, don't you dare. But <laughs> at least with us, we have these mics that are, you know, like they pick, they don't usually pick up outside noise in right. our recordings. And, um, you know, it's important that uh, when you have these meetings moving forward, if people are going to work from home, I highly recommend getting some headsets. <laughs> yeah, and these headsets are not that expensive. Ours, because like we both have the exact same one, the Sennheiser, and that was like 25, 30 bucks for me. Absolutely. It was like nothing, right? So yeah. it's, it's worth it. Um, so we'll see what happens as people start to move to the working at home environment more. So I'm going to just start off, if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. So... Both of us watched We Summon the Darkness, not together, because Scott and I usually have our Sunday movie nights where we will watch movies, um, new 2020 releases, because that's our, our goal is to watch as many as possible. I enjoyed this. Um, I know they covered it on Fresh Cuts and people weren't fans, but I, I thought it was fun. Yeah, same here. I, I really loved the hell out of this. Like, the themes in this movie just are, like, my jam. Like, yeah. the whole heavy metal theme, the satanic theme and the play on religions and like the twist that we see coming but i still like that twist and then like the other twist they they re reveal and it just yeah and the, it was just a lot of fun like it uh i went in expecting just to have fun with this movie and that's exactly what i got absolutely this movie was a lot of fun and i i really enjoyed it i liked the the three young ladies that were in it I like the gentlemen that were in it and we won't go too much into the plot because obviously we want to be careful about spoilers, but I can see why people wouldn't have enjoyed it. I, I think you have to go in there with knowing it's a horror comedy. Like it really was a horror comedy. And yeah. I don't think, you know, the kills aren't over the top or anything like that. I just enjoyed it. I thought the plot moved. I thought there was funny parts to it. Um, I enjoyed the acting and the interaction of the characters and that's what did it in for me. Yeah. Same here. Like, this is in my top 10 right now because I had so much fun with it. Yeah, and, same with mine. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we all do our top 10s differently and stuff like that for some people will do it just because, okay, this film was a masterpiece because of the way it was made, acted, blah, blah, blah. When I do mine, it's all about how I enjoyed it. Isn't it d does it have an impact on me one way, or one way or another? And will it leave a lasting impression? At this moment, We Some of the Darkness does exactly that. 
Well, and we've watched, I think I've watched 42 new watches for 2020, and I've seen some real duds, and I'm not trying to say, oh, because I've seen these worst movies, this one was so good. It just connected with me, I agree. I think you've summed it up perfectly, Scott. Yeah, because I think I'm at 40 first-time watches, or not first-time, but 40 2020 watches right now. Like, I'm a couple behind, but I'll just have time to catch up at one point. But oh, yeah, yeah like, for sure. But yeah, you, you and I have seen our fair share of amazing films, and not so amazing films on the like so far but we're mm-hmm. but yeah this one there's a reason it's in my top 10 mm-hmm. like I'll, I'll get into that more if it stays there by the end of the year when we do our top 10 list but but yeah i guess we can uh jump on into the next 2020 watch we did this one uh uh last sunday yeah just like last sunday that just passed yeah yeah so that was uh vivarium gosh and i love this movie yeah th- this movie was a real trip to watch like it was bizarre but like the commentary behind it is really fascinating you know i want to be careful with what words i choose because um you know we're hopefully going to be on fresh cuts talking about this movie right and i have lots to say but i will just say if you are somebody in your 20s or 30s or 40s and you and you feel suffocated by the expectations of society um, cultural norms in North America anyway, the idea of family, kids, good job. And 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 really, this movie takes a hard, honest look at that and the life cycle. And I, you know, I think people may watch this and they may walk away from it going, what the hell was that? What a waste. I didn't enjoy it. And that's absolutely fine. I walked away from that going, yeah, I took a different route in life and I'm happy for that. But there's some hard realities that we face. I think a lot of people in life do things that they're expected to do, not necessarily what they want to do. And I'll probably get it. I'll get into more on fresh cuts, but uh, it really, for me, reflected choices that I have made the opposite choices and how much happier I am with my life because of that. Same here. Like, cause I know you and I both pretty much had getting the exact same feelings and vibes from this film and like, what it was trying to say but we've also had the same experience you know not to give too much away here both scott and i have been married and divorced and um you know and and our divorces were not happy situations some people you know they split up because it's it's mutual and in both of our cases the the divorce wasn't necessarily mutual at least at first anyway i know yours right. was a little bit more uh peaceful than mine was but um you know i think that that when you go from being in a, in a couple in society to being a single you know, it's, it's, it's a difference. There's different expectations and stuff. And I think this movie does a good job of reflecting that. Oh, absolutely. Like, but yeah, this is a high recommend for me. I, and if I, I can see why people may not consider this horror film, like, but it probably just has to connect with you to be considered that. Absolutely. And everyone's different, but I do think it's high quality. And I enjoy Jesse Eisenberg in this. And I have mixed feelings on Jesse Eisenberg. Like I, I can either take him or leave him. I, I did enjoy him in Zombieland 2, which we'll get into later. I, or I don't know, maybe we will or not. I don't know if I put it on there, but I watched Zombieland 2 and he was great. Like, you know, for a sequel 10 years later, it was fine. But yeah, it was, is solid. So the next one is a Korean film and it's um, zero decimal zero MH said. Or Z. Is it Z oh, for you guys? It's uh, 0.0 megahertz is what that's supposed Is to it be. megahertz? Okay. I was like, <laughs> look at that. I'm like, MSNHZ, right? Just calling it over. <laughs> I did that so you can all look it up later. That's why. But yeah, this was, you know, I'm trying to watch more international films. And this was on Shudder. And it was a new release on Shudder. So I 
you know, I'm so nerdy. I, every time a new movie comes out on Shutter, I go and I check the dates and then I check for the US release date to make sure it's a 2020 release date. And it was. It's fine. You know, it's it's another like, oh, we're ghost hunters. And oh, is it? We're going to go to Haunted House. <laughs> and so I feel like a big push right now in the last couple of years has been, I have a paranormal TV show and I'm going to go to a haunted house. And <laughs> really haunted. And I guess I've given probably more away, but it's, it's, you figured it out in the first two minutes of the movie, like that they're paranormal hunters and they're going to Haunted House. So it's not like I'm saying anything past the first five minutes. And it's subtitled. And well acted from what I could tell, excellent special effects. Individuals from South Asian countries, Korea included, tend to do very well with their special effects. They tend to do very well with their scares. Like they're decent ghost stories. They're not like the turning and the other lackluster ghost stories we've seen this year. Right. Um, but yeah, so it, you know what? It's a, it's a decent watch. If you like South Korean films, you'll probably like this. I read some of the views that said it wasn't the best South Korean film out there. I have not watched enough to have a valid opinion on what is the best and what is the worst. But I would definitely say if you enjoy ghost stuff, check it out. Nice, because yeah, that's this is one that I plan on possibly watching tonight. So mm, I think you'll enjoy it. I think it'll be good enough for you. Yeah, it, the concept really sounded interesting to me. So and I, and I know a lot of the Korean horror films really are very good and impactful the, the way they are done so i'm very curious to see how this one is absolutely and well i guess we can jump into the next one that we watched last sunday and uh another fun watch and that would be porno yeah it was great so porn free right now for the month. Oh. <laughs> oh right Not well if we're going there i got a lot more movies to talk about <laughs> can you imagine anyway <laughs> As you were saying, Scott, before I interrupt you with my super funny joke that I'm sure everyone's laughing about right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is a movie about a bunch of people that work in a theater that find an old uh, old reel-to-reel that they decide to watch like one night together after they're done and cleaning up and all that. And it summons a succubus. And, well, all hell breaks loose. And it's, it's a horror comedy. And I think think it was produced by Fangoria. And, oh, was it? Oh, cool. Yep. Yeah, because the, the way to watch it is through uh, Fangoria's website, I believe, and you got to pay like twelve ninety nine to rent it. Mm. So yeah, yeah, this is gory as hell, over the top, very funny. Expect lots of nudity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, this was the characters were all very entertaining. They all did, were really well done characters. Just had some interesting... Uh, ties with uh what would you call it like the catholicism and satanism i thought too yeah it's an interesting film there's just there's a couple of scenes in there that i even found hard to watch being a female that were on some men (laughs) um that even made me be like which is always that's a sign of a good movie man when you are feeling squirmish or maybe you need to look away from the screen or you get mad at a character, or you feel bad for a character, that is that is what a good film is, if it can pull emotion from you. I enjoyed it. Yet again, it's a horror comedy. Some people will like it, some people will not. I was pleasantly surprised, and I think for the VOD releases that we've seen so far, it was definitely up there. It is in my top 10 right now. I enjoyed it, and I would watch it a second time. Yep, uh, I will definitely rewatch this one at some point, and yeah, because it's in my top 10 as well right now, and I have a feeling it's not going to be very successful besides the people in the hardcore horror community because just because of the title. Yeah. And I think that like, I have some friends that I might refer to watch it, but 
would I refer to your like mainstream horror fan? Probably not. No, probably not. Right? I, maybe I would refer it more to people like Sack and you know like Sack and Mary or Mindy, whatever, make a porno. Like I think like you know not that because there's you know that's called make a porno or anything like that. I just think the humor's similar. Um, yeah. So I you know. It, I liked it. I, I enjoyed it. I like I like the horror comedies that have come out so far this year. I find them funny. And that's all that matters to me. <laughs> yep, exactly. I mean, comedy is subjective. So each yep. person will find something funny that the other might not. But yeah, this one hit for me. And like horror comedies for me are kind of back and forth. And like this one is one that I definitely got a kick out of. Awesome. Oh, so I guess I'll go next. Dark Light. Meh, meh. I was going to say, you sound so excited. Dark Light. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I listened to the fresh cuts on this. Uh, they did a great job. And it's a decent enough movie. You know, I would put it up there along the lines of Room. Now, some people really loved Room. And I think Room is a solid film. Absolutely. It's not in my top 10 right now. Doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. There was just certain parts of it that drag for, drug for me. Um, so that's why it didn't move all the way into my top 10. And because I'm watching more and more movies now, um, I'm finding it's harder to be more specific. So outside of my top 10, I find that I have movies that I'm like, oh man, this was solidly good. I just like this better. Yeah. Dark Light is definitely a good movie. Um, it's well-made. The acting's okay. Um, the, uh, the sheriff that's in it. Um, do you remember, I forget which scary movie it was, maybe Scary Movie 3. And they're out, they're making fun of signs and there's the sheriff that comes out to the farm and the sheriff's hat gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh yeah. The sheriff's acting reminded me of that sheriff. Oh no. Okay. Like (laughs) I was like, I was waiting for like, you know, them to start making fun of like Charlie Sheen to show up and it be like (laughs) scary movie three. Decent enough film. It's on, where did I watch it? Netflix. probably netflix netflix canada so you know for free watch you know 90 minutes it's short it's sweet it's it it's paced well i think you won't be disappointed if you're looking for something to watch right now nice yeah because this is one that i also plan on trying to knock out in the next couple of days just uh because i've heard like i heard it was just decent but yeah. i'm i'm all about watching anything decent as long as there's movie, as long as the people aren't saying it's bad i'll watch it yeah, I think I think if you're looking to add something to your top twenty, I don't know, maybe you'll like it a lot more than I did. You may like right. it's not a bad movie. Definitely, like we, it's it's no Jessica Forever. Let me tell you that much. <laughs> it's no Jessica Forever. So you know, I think that you will enjoy it. I think those who liked Room or other things like that may enjoy it more. But I could be completely wrong on that. It's it's worth the watch. Do I think it's top ten material? No, but enjoyable enough. Nice. Yeah, I'll definitely have to come back with my thoughts on both uh, 0.0 megahertz and uh, dark light next episode. But yeah, I'll move on to the one that one 2021 that I watched that I don't think you've seen. No, I haven't. But I'm going to talk about Uncorked Entertainment's film, the one that we actually brought this trailer up on our very first episode, and that was Dead Sound. I love Uncorked. They're a very interesting company. They, they, I, they really are, man. Like, I feel like they give people a start. Like, they I do. feel like they do that. And and maybe that's not how they view themselves, but that's how I view them. Well, I mean, they, they give people, the independent directors, a way to distribute their films, which is awesome. And yeah, this is just a uh, indie film that's about a group of people that are going to a party on an island 
and they end up missing their boat, so they start kind of walking around the town trying to find a way to get to that island. And they find this guy who says uh, they talk him into taking them by paying a couple hundred dollars to go. Well, when they get on the boat, they start realizing that yeah, these guys are uh, not who they seem to be. They have sinister plans. They do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's basically just uh, survival on a boat. Pretty good. I would say it was actually a pretty good watch. It's not going to be in my top 10, but it might be my number 20. Like, you know, what we should do sometime is watch just uncorked films and rate them so they can make it to a top 10. Oh my God, that'd be great. <laughs> right. Like, because there's some uncorked stuff that really, like, I watched Derailed and I thought it was pretty decent. Like, you know, yet again, set your expectations. Yep. But yeah. Yeah that so these poor uncorked films have a have a fighting chance of making it to somebody's top 10 list well i mean hopefully with us talking about these films too like we do on our show that'll get people to pay for them and watch them yeah yeah and at least get them some money for their films because yeah they put out a lot of content and yeah it's it's all at least decent enough to watch like there's not too many terrible films that they've released no, and like, as I said, I think they give people like, compared to something like the Wakefield Project, which was just dreadful, and Jessica Forever, you know, I have still yet to set, find somebody that has watched Jessica Forever and that can <laughs> explain it to me. You, you know, I, I've i seen worse. I've seen worse, and I think that if that's where someone needs to get their acting start, or someone needs to get their special effects start, or someone needs to get their costume design start, or their writing start, good for them. You know, you're not always going to be coming out of the gate hitting home runs. Sometimes you need to bunt a couple of balls before you really get there. Exactly. And yeah, I'd say this one is worth a watch. It, I enjoyed it. Like the acting was all pretty decent and like it had some very tense scenes. So I, yeah, I thought it was uh, pretty good and I would recommend anybody check it out. Awesome. So now we're going to go back in time. Yeah. So the last showing came out in 2014 and it, uh, you can find it on our good old shutter and it has Robert England in it, which is why I watched it. Like, why else would I not? <laughs> Friday nightmares. The nightmares part is me guys. So this was a cool concept. He is a projectionist, a projectionist in a movie theater. And this couple comes in for a midnight showing and he decides to create a horror movie Obviously, this couple does not consent to it, but he just creates one anyway. And it's a modern day theater. So it's not like Nightmare Cinema where it's like this old crappy theater and people are like, oh, no, let's just wander into it. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Which that was a part of the movie that made no sense. You're like just walking down the street and you're like, oh man, a shitty theater that's run down. I'm going to go check that out, right? I, Probably I don't know. I might have been one of those people. <laughs> so Scott would go in and I'd be like, um, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> I want to die. So this was good because it was a modern day theater, right? So, and I believe it's filmed in uh, Britain because everyone has English accents. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just making that assumption. It wasn't. I didn't look that deep into it, but it's a good little watch, an hour and a half long and a cool concept. Nice. Yeah, because I've seen that, because uh, you told me you watched it, and I plan on at least checking it out at some point. Like, pretty much, like, I think both of us, I just listen to whatever we watch, like, the older films, and we'll, we just add them to a list. Oh, we like, do. Oh, yeah, we'll yeah. eventually get to yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just because we both like to hear each other's thoughts on films. Well, we have similar opinions, too. Like, we have similar taste on stuff. So, you know, if you and I, and, and we like horror a lot, right? So we, I listen to podcasts, I listen to you, and I, I sort out from there. Like, I'm still working through the Exploding Heads Top 100 that I haven't seen. And, yep, and that's, um, that's been kind of what I've been doing, too, a little bit. 
Yeah, like they had some really great suggestions and I'm actually going to talk about them later in the what we've been listening to as a surprise. It's not in the notes. We're going to go off script a little bit. But yeah, it's um, it's been great. So yeah, we share back and forth. So I would definitely say check this out if you got the time. Nice. And well, I guess I will jump into one of the ones that I watched that was a bit of an older film. And I'm going to start with one of the ones that was on the top 100 list. And that is The Battery. Mm. This is uh, the same guy that directed After Midnight. So, really? Okay, yeah. cool. So I was very curious because uh, Mark Nato had brought that up to me like after I highly went on my spiel about After Midnight and told me, you know, you need to see The Battery. So I ended up watching it. Well, the boyfriend from After Midnight is the main character in this one as well. Oh, cool. And it is... Uh, two guys that are trying to just constantly be on the move during like a a zombie apocalypse that has happened i don't know how many years ago so they're just to survive they're constantly not staying in one spot they're just moving 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 and makes just, sense like, and it's pretty much a movie about them and like the stresses of being alone and stuff like that and man this movie was fan freaking tastic yeah oh, oh i nice. loved it like because it's I, the character, once again, just the, this director just knows how to get character development out of people and awesome. like builds just like this great relationship between these two characters. And like, man, I was like enthralled the whole entire time I watched it. This is like a 10 out of 10 film for me. Awesome. 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 Well, it sounds like it's worth checking out if you're that high on it. Yeah, I loved it. And I, <laughs> I found it uh, free on Amazon Prime. Oh, cool. Now, maybe maybe free on Canadian Amazon Prime? Let's, let's hope maybe so. Maybe <laughs> not free on Canadian Amazon Prime. Who knows? But I can definitely look it up. Thank you. That's a good suggestion. I watched Ruin Me. Have you seen Ruin Me, right? Yep. I seen that when it first came out. And uh, the premise is it's a one of those slasher-themed weekends. We actually do one of those up here. Near me, there's a place called... Um, Oh, man, I can't remember the name, what it's called. Anyway, that's irrelevant. Bottom line is they do a zombie run every year, but it's not like just a night. Like it's two nights. It's a weekend. Oh, and nice. you go and you sleep and like these zombies chase you. It sounds like a lot of work and I'd be exhausted and cranky. So definitely something I probably wouldn't do myself. But so we have something like that here. And this is what the concept of Ruin Me is about. And, and they also kind of throw in some information about addictions, which I did not see coming. And I I think that they kind of took the waiting pool approach to that. They could have gone a little bit deeper with it, but I did find it fun. I found the the main characters likable. There was one dude in particular that I I really found quite funny. Um, turns out to be a drug dealer, which I really thought was funny. Oh um, yeah, okay, I remember that character. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely worth the watch. It was it was good, and I, it's a Shutter original so you if you go on shutter you can find it under shutter original or exclusive or whatever and uh yeah enjoyed it yeah because i remember having a pretty fun time with it and then uh when you were watching it you brought up to me that it was filmed in michigan which i like made yeah. sense once you did that i was like oh my god yes it is because <laughs> back then i never really cared about where something was filmed it mm. really wasn't something i looked into but then, yeah, looking into it and seeing that it was filmed in Muskegon, Michigan, I'm going, holy crap, yeah, the setting and everything, that makes perfect sense. And, yeah, the 
the setting in the backdrop for this was very beautiful because I think it was in the fall, if I remember correctly. Yes, yes, it was fall. Yeah, so I had like the Michigan Falls, which are almost always like really beautiful, especially like in the wooded areas like that. And Absolutely. I thought that was really neat. The one, the one perk we have to having four seasons, nice falls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like nice for take just going on road trips just to see the colors. <laughs> Absolutely, right? Did you want to go next or should I go with my next one? Um, I'll jump onto one of mine. Um, let's go with uh, The Innkeepers, another one that was on the top mm. 100 for Exploding Heads. Because, uh, yeah, I've never seen it. I've always like skimmed past it and wanted to check it out and just never got around to it. So finally, since I seen it was on the list, decided to watch it. And it's pretty much about these uh, two people that work at this hotel that they believe is haunted and mm. that they've never really experienced anything. But uh, they, uh, and it, I think the place is going out of business. So they're trying to like say, oh, maybe if we find something we can, uh, you know, that'll inspire people to want to come here more often and stuff. And at first I was like, I don't see how this is a horror film. I remember messaging you that like, I'm like, there's not much going on here that's considered horror. And like, as it progressed, it finally, you know, started you getting there. Better. Yeah. But the, I really enjoyed this. Even if I, even if it didn't become a horror film, it was still a really good watch because of the characters, because of just like their interactions between each other, especially the main girl. I don't know her name, but she did such an amazing job just being like this super, just like little excited person's like wanting to like find ghosts and all that. And like, she was just super cute the way she was like constantly just trying to find ways to like make this thing. But yeah, this is a uh, very well done film, and once the horror starts happening, it gets uh, pretty uh, spooky. Nice. I know Watson and Dave C covered it on the Watt C party. Oh, and they uh, probably did a fantastic job. Yeah, and and usually like when they cover movies, they're usually very good movies. Like um, I first heard about them talk about Starry Eyes, and when I watched it, I was very, very impressed. Um, really enjoyed that film a lot, actually. So yeah, I, I can believe it. I, it sounds like it's solid. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, this is another one that I highly recommend. Like I've been hitting some good ones like thanks to that list. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I watched Summer of 84. Nice. Uh, about a week ago, I guess. And, you know, it's interesting because we chatted about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reviews online I read was one of the best films of 2018. And it's filmed in, or the best horror film of 2018, actually, is what it, what it said. And it was filmed in Vancouver, um, beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. And it's uh, made its way around some film festivals and stuff too. Yeah, it's okay. Um, it was a little, remember, remember the 80s? Remember? Oh, it so was. <laughs> Look at my hairstyle. It's the 80s. We're all going to go bullying. It's the 80s. Yeah, 80s. Um, I did find the acting was very solid with the yeah. kids and the adults. Um, it, you know, good ending. Um very dark very dark um i can see how some people would find it slow i don't think it was the best horror film of 2018 i think that's a pretty pretty heavy title to give any film let alone <laughs> that film um but i i did enjoy it but I, do i think it was worth all the hype no nah. but it was decent it was it was well 
paced for me. The acting was good. Um, and I, and I felt for the characters and it pulled emotion from me. So. Yeah. Cause I've watched this in 2018 cause I'd heard so many people hype it up and I was one of those where I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give this a watch. And I'm thinking I may have let the hype get to me and like, it just didn't, it wasn't what I was expecting. Cause I did find it slow. Like I felt, I think I was telling you, like, I feel like there could have been like 15, 20 minutes cut from the film, but I didn't know what the hell I could have, would have cut if it was me personally to like make it flow. Cause everything seemed like it was part of the story. Um, but yeah, the, I will say the acting and, everything else the kids were fantastic in this movie like they did so they feel... looked older than their age yeah like they even make a joke about one of them looking much older than oh, his yeah. age <laughs> and that's fine you know what like sometimes you can't get teenagers to play those roles the way you want them to right you gotta get kids that are a couple years older right. um, but i <sighs> I think whenever you label something the best horror movie, you're setting yourself up for criticism. You know, yeah. it's it's really, and I feel like that also, you know, Stranger Things, I, I'm not sure if 2018 was the first season. No, I think it's 2016. But I feel like Stranger Things has really brought back this 80s mentality and uh, Summer of 84 kind of just jumped on the bandwagon. And that's fine. Like, don't get me wrong. The 80s are great in some sense, but um also not yeah. in others right so whatever yep. it worked it was entertaining props yep, to them. And, and that ending for me is what like really got me and like it made me feel emotional because at that point you you've been with those characters the whole time so when the mm -hmm. ending happens you're just like holy crap okay and yeah. like but yeah I, I did enjoy it it just is like kind of like you i'm just like yeah it was it was good but yeah it was entertaining right yeah and i'll talk about uh one that I actually watched uh, yesterday, and that would be The Taking of Deborah Logan. Mm. This movie was amazing. I loved it. But my God, that first 20 minutes. Yeah, was, you were saying it was hard for you to get through. It, was, it made me so uncomfortable. Because um, it pretty much is a story about a woman that has Alzheimer's and it the first 20 minutes is like showing her just the Alzheimer's degrading her more and more and more and you're just watching this poor woman suffering and it is just so rough to watch that because it just makes me extremely uncomfortable with things like that well and, and it's a real disease right it's a real fear yeah and then of course there takes a supernatural aspect to it which after the 20 minutes just ramps it up into this horror film and oh my god it is creepy as hell. Like oh, yeah. this, this one got under my skin a lot. Mm. Like this is like a high recommend for me. Cause like I'm starting to realize there are more of these possession ghost stories that I am really digging than I thought I would. Cause I never, I was never a big fan of that genre for the most part. And man, I'm this one, especially just, wow. I was in awe and it was creepy as hell. The performances all around were amazing. And yeah, I, I don't even know what else to say without spoiling stuff. So I'm just going to say, watch this movie if, you've, if you have not seen it. I know I'm late, late to see this one compared to a lot of people. But yeah, taking a Deborah Logan was a 10 out of 10 for me. Like, Hey, if you haven't seen it yet, there's somebody else out there that hasn't seen it yet. So they're probably going to appreciate the recommendation. That, that's true. And 
trying to think where I ended up seeing. The, oh, this one was also on Shutter. Oh, nice, good. Yeah, Shutter's really great, and yeah. Shutter good. Um, I'm gonna clump these together, so and and we can just talk about them as a as a group because they're film festival films. So I decided that I was going to get some highbrow and that I was gonna watch some film festival films on Shutter. So some of them I watched was Among the Living, which is a French film, Therapy, which is also a French film, uh, Blind Sun, which is a French film. I believe it's French. I thought that was uh, Greek. It was filmed in Greece, oh, but I, I think okay. they were speaking French. Um, it's, it's, it's subtitled. The Shrewd's Nest, which is a um, Spanish film, and then Downrange. So you can find all of these on Shutter Canada, and I'm assuming Shutter the States too, because they're Shutter yep. exclusives. And so just quick synopsis, and you can like kind of jump in, Scott, with anything you want to add for the ones you've seen. Among the Living, um, <laughs> wow. Um, you know, French films are not afraid to go places, and this, this film went places. It kind of felt like It, but super dark. Oh, I only say It because it had kids as uh, the lead protagonist, and, um, but a much darker film. And I, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was suspenseful. I thought the acting was good, and, I, and the ending was, you know, kind of leaves you with a little bit of a chill. Have you seen this one? Uh, I actually did watch it. Um, I unfortunately don't remember much from it because I ended up getting distracted with things around the house and like it mm. just kind of finished off. So I'm, I need to go back because I got, I think, to about the halfway point. And mm. then I ended up getting distracted by things. So I had, I'll have to go back and finish it. But probably, what You probably didn't so far, dig it as much as I did then. Oh, no, I did. But no, oh, okay. just, something just came up. Like I think it was uh, to my roommate asked me to help him with something or yeah. Something along those lines where I was just like, oh, I got to stop this. And I didn't. So I'll just need, I just need to go back to that halfway point and watch because that first half I really enjoyed a lot. Yeah, I, I really felt the acting was good and the story was solid. And then therapy is a found footage film mixed with, I guess, I don't know, regular filming. I don't know what you would call that switchover. I'm not that skilled in film talking to know what that yeah, switch not, would be. I'm Do not you? sure what that would be. I'm not sure what that would be called. Like, faux documentary maybe i don't know okay see look you know this shit i have no idea so um i enjoyed it i thought it was a really cool concept found footage mixed with um you know current day and trying to solve the mystery the ending confused me uh a lot but uh, it wasn't a bad ending i just kind of was like hmm, that's interesting definitely worth the watch subtitled only Oh, We Go On. I forgot about We Go On. So We Go On as well, which, man, I really loved this. This is a ghost story, in my opinion, done right. Like, yep, I will agree loved there. Loved it. Yeah, because this is one that I also watched per your recommendation. And, yep, I thought this one was a really well done film. Like, I'm trying to remember because I think I gave it like an 8 out of 10, and I forget what the reasoning was now. I've watched so many films, it's all starting to blend together at this point. Yeah, they all do come together. I gave this a 10 out of 10, and if I had done my top 100, these films would have been on there. Um, nice. Now, I really enjoyed We Go On. It starts off one way of trying to explore what happens when we die, and it's interesting because... Um, I used to be very afraid of stuff like that. I, I used to be very afraid of um, death and I had a near death experience um, to the point where I did almost die. And I remember being in the hospital. And ever since that point, 
of um, not dying and being here today, I, I stopped having that fear and I stopped having that curiosity. But it was definitely something that I wouldn't say overtook me to the point that it overtook this character, but definitely was something that I was interested in and, and how the film changes halfway through and the acting. Oh my God. Like there were some good acting in this. Like when I get to a point where I am so involved that there are certain characters that I'm like, are you really like that? Like that's, that to me is, is like, and I'm thinking of secondary characters, to be honest with you, Uh, a Spanish woman in particular, uh, that was just, wow, you know, um, and Blind Son, this is more of a political one. I could see a lot of people not liking it. It's about an immigrant in Greece and talks about issues within Europe with immigration and, and stuff like that. And it's a hot summer, like a very, very hot summer. And um, this gentleman is house sitting and he's kind of battling his own demons and heat and pre- prejudice and racism. And, and you kind of don't know what's real and what's not. It is a movie that you cannot be doing other things with while watching. You need to sit down and just watch it because if you don't, you're not going to get it. Yep. I was like, this is one that I'm going to be checking out at some point because it seems like a very interesting concept. It is. And, you know, I, I think you really got to like political movies. You really got to be like, mm, I'm interested in this. I do. I do understand the struggle that immigrants would be having, you know, and it's really exploiting that. So I think that you really got to like that part. So it may not be for everybody, but I did enjoy it. Uh, the acting, yet again, was phenomenal. Shrewd's Nest. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy, this was a good movie. This would have been in my top 10 of the 2000s if I yeah. had watched this before. Um, so good. I, I, I love the, the, the mixture of different concepts within this movie. I love the fact that it's in the 50s. The acting. This could have been a stage play. And, and when something yes. is a stage play, I love live theater. And when you can bring something to life on the stage, that's the showing of a good actor and actress. Um, and this is something that could be done on a stage play, uh, on a stage and a theatrical production and would be fucking phenomenal. Like I use the word fucking specifically because it would be so good. Um, yeah, I cannot suggest this movie enough. Yeah, I would. I, I never thought of it that way, but yeah, this totally could be a the, uh, like, theater production like this was really really freaking good like i because I, this is one that i remember you were just going oh my god scott you need to watch this and I was like, okay and i ended up uh watching half of it and then uh i had to record a episode of something so i ended up uh watching the last half of it today before we recorded and man like everything about this movie just works mm-hmm. like the characters are all really good like the performances all around are really good. Oh my god, the acting. The acting by the two female leads. Yes. And the gentleman. Oh, like I just and then the side character that's there, the older gentleman. And then the twist. I saw half of the twist coming and then I was like, Oh my god. Oh my god. And I put it all together and I was like, Oh my god. Like it was like a total like it is a movie that I will I, I now put on a pedestal because I just think that it really hit with some issues and the acting in it was so solid and 
it created a sense of anxiety and dread without being over the top gory and violent. So with this movie, I, yeah, I definitely recommend you need to be focused. It's, it's, I think for females, they may enjoy it a little bit more, but I loved it. Absolutely phenomenal. Yep. I, I 100% agree. This was a amazing, amazing movie. And I think the final one that I'm going to talk about that was, um, because I don't think the other one that's on here that we both watched was a uh, film festival one is Downrange. And Downrange was shown at TIFF and which is the Toronto International Film Festival for Ooh, Miss Fancy Pants. Aware. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's see if it happens this year. Hashtag COVID. Um, but, <laughs> um, yeah, great movie. You know, simple concept. Out of the canon, within the first 10 minutes, you're not looking at a lot of plot development, not a lot of character development, but I really don't think it's needed for this film. No, this is basically like a uh, modern day slasher yep yep uh, i think that's the best way to describe it it is action-packed from the beginning to the end um it, the acting is is decent i really thought the characters did a good job i believed them i believed the situation they were in i believed their reactions um some were stronger than others but yeah you know, generally speaking, they were all good, and there's a lot of gore. You like gore, oh, yeah. you like blood, you like shit balls to the walls, you're going to like this film. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this one was uh, yeah, pretty much just nonstop, and yeah. yeah, extremely violent. I was, like, you were telling me, like, oh, yeah, this is gory. I'm going, okay, and I'm like, whoa, I did not expect this type of level of gore. No, no. Especially it's... for the type of weapon the killer was using. Yeah, it's 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 a really interesting film. So, you know, recommend all these are on Shutter. Uh, they are on Shutter Canada. They are on Shutter United States. I don't know if they're on Shutter Australia, <laughs> UK, but you know, hopefully they are because they're right. exclusive. They're exclusive to Shutter and they're international films. I think, except for Downrage. Downrage was in English, and so was We Go On. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, like ugh, other countries. You know, my my little Heather sheltered world, I didn't know a lot about international film until recently. I saw the popular ones and stuff like that. But man, blowing my mind. Blowing my mind. Yep, because I'll say I'm I'm kind of just trying to watch a lot more of these international films. Like maybe not like doing what you're doing with the film festival stuff unless you mm. recommend them to me. But like I'm just trying to watch more international stuff because, yeah, I, I just, uh, when it comes to subtitled films, a lot of the time with me, it's, okay, I need to make sure I'm focusing on this because I need to read, need to watch this. I have no problem with it. Just need to make sure I'm not distracted, which obviously got distracted during uh, Among the Living, and now I need to go back and rewatch that because of that. That's the problem with subtitles, right? You got to be paying attention. If not, it's very, very, very difficult. And Yeah. But... um. Yeah, I guess I will talk about one of the films that another one of the films I ended up watching. Um, well, actually, this one I think we both watched, Lake Bodum, which is a uh, Finnish horror film that is on yeah. Shutter. And yeah, I loved this movie. Like, this one was uh, another one where it had this twist that I had, I got completely blindsided by. Like, and then other twist happens and got blindsided by that. Like this was just a really, really well done film that it's about a group of people that 
go camping where these murders happened. And they're, I, I'm not sure if they're trying to see if they can... Oh, I think they were trying to solve the murders is what they were yes. trying to do. And then the, when everything happens, it just gets really messed up and has some very, very tense scenes with... I will say I love the setting of this one, like in the woods and like the way it was filmed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like the lighting in the woods, like during the nighttime, mm-hmm. it looked uh, very artistic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I highly recommend this one as well. And it is also on shutter. Like, what did you think of this one? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was really well done. I didn't see, I, I saw some of the plot coming together, how it did, but I, it left you questioning, but yeah, it was very, very, very good. I would watch it again. Um, well acted, well filmed, everything you said, basically. Nice. Um, yeah, and I guess I will jump on to another one that I watched. And this one is a film right up my alley, and that is Housewife. And this one, I only watched it because I seen the poster art on Shutter, and I'm just like, okay, this looks freaking cool. And it looks very Lovecraftian because you see like these tentacles and everything behind this woman and it looks very like trippy. And I'm like, okay. And you know me, I love Lovecraft stuff. So I was like, yeah, (laughs) yes, you do. (laughs) Uh, And wow, this was a uh, very, very good, weird, but good film. Um, But it's basically about this woman that escapes when she's a little kid from this cult. And, uh, like, something tragic happened to her when she was a little girl when she escaped. And then when she, you know, she's trying to live her life, she's scarred from it all. And next thing you know, like, this cult happens to be in her hometown where she's at. And they end up finding her and things, and they try to reconnect with her. And, well, let's just say things go into a very weird, trippy area and some messed up things happened but when that ending hit for me i was just sitting there going yes this is awesome (laughs) like this is very if you are a fan of lovecraft this is a film you need to see like it's not based off any of his stories but it has the like the structure of a lovecraft like style story with otherworldly beings and things like that See, I don't know if I will watch this because I don't love Lovecraft stuff. But... Yeah, and this is one that I think that you might like. Okay. Like, because okay. I, I was trying, because I know, like, I'm, I'm getting, like, to understand your taste of, like, what you're liking in the Lovecraft stuff. Like, I know you're not a big fan of stuff, but I know there's, like, certain aspects of this I think you'll find very fascinating. Okay. Uh, you know what? I, I trust your opinion. I'll probably check it out. All we got is time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Uh... And, and I, you don't have any left on this list, do you? I just have one nope. more. No. Nope. Okay. Uh, so yeah, the last one I will talk about was one that I just skipped when it was out because it didn't sound like something I'd be interested in, and that is Unfriended. And wow, I was really impressed with this movie. This was really cool. Uh, I really wish I would have watched this on my laptop or my uh, computer because that would have just pulled me into the movie even more, I think just because of the way everything is on the screen and all that and the glitches. and But yeah, this was, a lot of people have probably seen this one. I skipped it because I was just like, oh, you know, new age, ghost story, blah, 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 blah. Well, I will 
admit I was wrong and a fool for skipping it when I did. I should have watched this uh, way sooner because this movie was awesome and had some really creepy moments to it. Uh, but yeah, I don't really need to go much into it because like everybody's probably seen this. So I love this film. I, I, I think it really plays on social media today and cultural norms of today. Yeah. And you know, I was talking about this on another podcast. People sometimes give attitude to these films. They give attitude to Unfriended. They give attitude to Truth or Dare. They give attitude to Countdown. Because for some reason, they have decided that, you know, they passed that stage in horror, horror and maybe they never were at that stage in horror. But we love Final Destination. Some people love I Still Know What You Did Last Summer or Urban Legends and Urban Legends 2. I have a huge fond of Urban Legends 2 because my girlfriends went to the school that it was filmed at and we would watch the film and then walk around the set, which nice. was their school at night. Let me tell you, it was creepy. That was actually um, pretty awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I actually just watched Crimson Peak yesterday, and parts of that were filled at Casa Loma in Toronto, and I recognized it. Nice. And wasn't that a uh, wasn't that castle built for that movie? No, no. Casa Loma was now well, long history. It's Casa Loma. Casa okay. Loma was built a long, long time ago, and was meant to be a castle like. It's the biggest thing we have in Canada that could be considered a castle. It's not a real castle, but a lot of movies have been filmed there. But the Pacifier has been filmed there, um, many, many films. But there's particular scenes that are used, like the ballroom and the stairs, were filmed at Castle Loma and some of the rooms and stuff like that. And I've been on those stairs. Like, I've been there, and I was like, oh my God, I was there. Oh my God, I was there. Um, so, you know, anyway, that was a big side rant to what I want to get back to with Unfriended. <laughs> You know, we need these films to get younger people into horror, okay? Like, I get it that we all want to think that young people are going to wake up one day and be like, you know, let's watch The Thing, okay? But they may not. Yeah. And that's okay. That is a developed taste. Like, when I watched Gretel and Hansel, and I pulled from it when I pulled from it, I never would have done that at 15 years old. I never would have sat there and thought about the female identity and how females are taught and stuff like that. I never would have pulled that away at 15. No way. I'm doing that now as a 37-year-old female. And I think we need to just chill out as horror fans sometimes and appreciate these films for what they are. Sorry, uh, they all have, uh, a lot of these films have, because I've been watching a lot of them now because I was one of those types of horror fans for a while. And I will admit, these are some great stories and they are a perfect, uh, perfect time capsule for that generation, like with the technology and everything, like a lot of people in that generation can relate to this stuff. Absolutely. It's like how we can watch Final Destination and get warm and fuzzies. Yeah, exactly. You know, or scream and get warm and fuzzies. And, you know, not to say that those movies aren't liked by the modern day generation. Obviously they are. But I think sometimes us horror fans get on our high horses of, well, I didn't like that movie. Why was it made? Well, did you ever think that maybe it wasn't made just for you? That maybe it was made to attract a different audience into the genre because the last thing we need is more people buying horror movies the last thing we need is more people going to conventions i don't think so we need people doing those things so we can get the better films because the more people you get involved in entry level horror which may be the unfriended the countdowns truth or dare fantasy island whatever you're going to have some people that will just stay there and you know what that's fine you know, Bloomhouse will yep. make money or whoever will make money off of that, and that's fine. 
But then you're going to have others that will go, I like this, what's more? What else yeah. can I watch? And not everybody has some big brother, big sister horror fan that's going to come around and start showing them stuff. I was on a lonely Heather Island of liking horror as much as I liked it and was made to feel really bad and made fun of and teased and stuff for how much I liked it until I met this online community. So I think we need to just chill out sometimes as horror fans and just go, okay, this may not be for me, but maybe this is to get someone into the genre and that's okay. Yep, exactly. I completely agree with that because, yeah, these uh, the people that get raised on the horror films nowadays will like some of them will be our new age directors that we will be getting down the road because they were influenced by films like this or they'll buy stuff we need people to buy things to go to movies for more movies to be made yep you know and i think that sometimes we get so caught up in our own well i didn't like it well it's not just for you (laughs) right exactly (laughs) like there's enough out there that you can pick what you like or don't like and there's some things that are made as basic bitch films to bring in the basic bitches that may may turn into more serious horror fans or not. And that's okay. Either way, those films are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Exactly. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we have decided to do this challenge because it is forcing me to watch these films that I just kind of overlooked. And I regret overlooking them now because man, I am really having a blast with a lot of these films that I've been finding. And they're fun. Yeah. Like, you don't have to take it overly seriously. Like, did I enjoy Strude's Nets? Absolutely, I did. Was it a heavy film? Yes. So was yeah, Blind very... Sun. You know, so is a bunch of other films that are out there. And sometimes you just want to turn your brain off, relax, and watch something. Go in with realistic expectations. Look at who it's geared towards and accept that. Yep, exactly. Uh, and yes, so that is our extensive list of uh, what we've been watching. Um, because this, these lists are going to continue to be large while we're still in uh, quarantine. Because you know, what else do we have to do? But it'll give us some good talk, stuff to talk about and introduce us some new films. Well, and hopefully we get other people to to look at these too, right? We're all at yeah. home right now, so hopefully other people will watch them. Oh, absolutely. But uh, our next topic will be uh, the what we've been listening to. And uh, Heather, it looks like yours is on the list for first. Why don't yes, you go it ahead? is. So one of the podcasts that I started listening to long before I even knew Mr. Crossford existed on this. Crossford. Crawford, sorry. Before I met Scott, I used to listen to this podcast called Otis Jennings' um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And it's this gentleman who is a storyteller. And he reads scary stories that either have been submitted to him through independent authors, obviously they get a commission for it, um, or ones from the Scary Story series. And he is an incredible narrator. His voice is so calming. I listen to it usually when I'm doing housework. And there's one story in particular that I listen to, and it talks about basically a, a young child that's a ghost, and another child can see this ghost and they become friends and then some weird stuff goes down and the way that they describe it is just incredible and it has four like over four thousand followers like it's a pretty popular um podcast or more than that actually i think it's like close to four forty thousand followers and they are sponsored through shutter 
because they do ads for Shutter and stuff throughout it, and they do have oh, a nice. Patreon as well. Um, but yeah, I totally recommend listening to it. We'll include it if you enjoy storytelling and you like hearing about short stories and supporting independent authors by listening to this, I would definitely recommend it. Um, the other shout out I wanted to give, since we're talking about Patreon, is to Exploding Heads. Have you listened to their episodes since they've gone Patreon, Scott? Uh, not yet. I have yeah. all, I have the, I think there's two, I think the third one just came out. So I have them downloaded. Yeah. Uh, I just, I've been having a hard time fitting in podcasts lately. So I've been trying to do it on the weekends and well, I'm hoping to listen to one of them while I go on my walk today. Excellent. So I, you know, if, if you, so Exploding Heads had a hundred episodes free on the Horrorphilia Network and I became a Patreon. I, I love them. I love their episodes, but it wasn't just for them. It was to support them, also to support my brother, Christian, who's also Canadian. Not He's not my real brother. I just call everyone my brothers and sisters because, like, I don't know. I think I'm, like, a preacher or something. But anyway, <laughs> um, since they have gone Patreon, they are a much more relaxed podcast, and they are killing it. So the reason why I want to bring this up is because I know they had a lot of followers beforehand, and obviously they've had some people transfer over to being Patreon and people that haven't. If you were a fan of Exploding Heads, it is worth the $4 a month to listen to their podcast. Um, I greatly enjoy them. I always enjoyed them before. But now they're really going above and beyond for their patrons. They're really trying to give you the best bang for their buck. They're, the episodes are coming out hard and fast, which is why Scott can barely keep up with them. Yep. Um, and they are really giving back to their patrons. They have a Patreon-only Facebook group, which they're very engaged with. And I think if you're a fan of their show and you really like their show, it's a small price to pay. It's a latte. It's actually cheaper than a latte from Starbucks. And I know this because... I'm a basic white bitch who loves my Starbucks. So um, it, I really wanted to give that shout out to them because I, I really see the work and effort that they're putting into it. And really for $4 a month, like I'm getting way more value out of it. And I think if you were an Exploding Heads fan before, you, you should really consider coming back onto it because it's a big move that they made. Uh, but I really, I really think that um, – as I said, the quality was always there before, but I just think it's improving and, and the way that they're interacting with people and engaging is, is really quite remarkable. Yeah. Cause I'm, cause I am Patreon as well. I just have not uh, had the chance to listen to their episodes just yet. Um, but I, I will agree. Like I'm on their Facebook page quite a bit and yeah, they are very engaging on there and are constantly just like they're on there a lot, which is awesome. And that's what you should be doing, you know, like that's what you should be doing. And I think that they are setting the example. I was talking to another podcast the other day and they're looking at doing a Patreon, not going full Patreon, but doing a Patreon. And like, there's like, there's people like 22 shots that have been doing Patreon as well too. And I'm sure that people can learn a lot from how they do Patreon as well. Um, but I think you really need to understand that you need to get back to your fans. And that's really important. It's not just about like, Oh, you know, we'll do extra episodes or we'll, re we'll release some bonus content. You have to be engaged. You have to make people feel like you care because not everybody wants to get behind the podcasting mic, but they want to be recognized somehow, you know? Yeah. And I think that they're doing a really good job of doing that. So I just wanted to give them a shout out because 
you know, I think that should be acknowledged. And I think if you were an Exploding Heads fan before and you enjoyed it, I, I think it's worth your money. I really do. Yeah, but I was like, like, even just with me being just on the Facebook page, I think that's worth the money. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, just wanted to give them a shout out. I know Dave C. listens, so that's for you, Dave. Great work. <laughs> we love you, Dave. Um, but yeah, I will jump into a uh, podcast that I, I've been friends with this person on Facebook for probably about two years. She always just uh, would do kind of like a... Uh, mini reviews as Facebook live videos. And then uh, probably about, I'd say four or five months ago, her and her friend started a podcast and it's called the Guillotine Girls Horror Podcast. Uh, the hosts are Madeline Mythos and Queen Cujo. Oh, I like and, that, Queen Cujo. Yeah, and they are, wow, well, they are very, very knowledgeable with their horror stuff. Awesome. Like, uh, the episode I was listening to recently was uh, a Clive Barker episode. So they talked Hellraiser and Nightbreed. And yeah, the knowledge that they bring uh, to the table for these particular films was very informative. Like, they brought, like, I'm a huge fan of both the movies of those and the books of those. And I was still learning stuff that I never even knew about these movies. Like they just had a lot of knowledge and they are really good together. Uh, but, and they are just, you know, starting right. They're starting off. I think they have seven episodes right now and they, yeah, they are really good. I think their most latest episode is, let me get to it real quick here. Uh, the latest episode, they did a trauma episode and it was the toxic Avenger and Sergeant Kabuki men. <laughs> Love it. Sergeant Kabuki Man. That's cool. And yeah, so and that, and that was like, yeah, one. Okay, they've done about fifteen episodes. My bad. But yeah, they've only been around for a several like several months now, and I highly recommend giving them a watch or a listen. They are really well together, and you don't get too many uh, shows where it's a female centric show either. So I definitely uh, think that that's uh, something really cool and unique. Yeah, us ladies are few and far between, so. Yeah, so it's good to see more females out there, for sure. Uh, but yeah, that will be uh, the end of what we've been listening to. Uh, we're going to take a quick break real quick, and then when we get back, we will be talking our topic, monsters and things that go bump in the night. <laughs> so our topic today is the final bit for our creature feature episode where we are going to be talking monsters and unnatural creatures so pretty much like things we have not covered yet in this topic and uh what the part that i'm going to be going over is kind of the evolution of the monster pretty much like 30s on up uh and i will start with a uh article that i had found from games radar uh, was titled, What Makes Cinema's Greatest Monsters So Scary? The Truth Is That They Remind Us of Ourselves. And this was written by uh, Kevin Harley. There has always been a primitive fascination with monsters among humankind. Ever since our brains developed far enough to imagine them, early on we had imagined and created mythological monstrous beasts that were a hideous mixture of creatures we are familiar with, but the most monstrous of all are those that are most like us. 
As early as the 1896, George Melis spliced pioneering effects and myth for his menagerie of cavorting beasties in La Menor de Diable, The House of the Devil. Much like modern horror cinema, Mieles allowed us to witness true living, breathing monsters and monstrous beings through special effects in front of our very own eyes. That was kind of like the step up. Now, like, this is where monsters really became really well known, and that is in the Universal Monsters era. These monsters were created and were made so you felt empathy for them, hence Dracula, pity for them, Frankenstein, and ones that were also tragic tales like the Wolfman and Creature from the Black Lagoon. And for the most part, these were all in a gothic setting. But yeah, these movies were huge milestone for Universal to nab because Dracula, Frankenstein, all these uh, Wolfman and the Mummy, all these creatures are iconic. Everyone knows them to this day. I don't think there's a single person out there that wouldn't recognize any of their names. You know, when I think of them, I think of Appen and Costello, because that was yeah. the first exposure I had to them as a little Heather. Yep, same here, actually. The Abbott and Costello ones brought a lot more uh, the comedic element to it. But, uh, you know, these were kind of like the basis for, you know, the, the vampire werewolves and, like, the science monsters gone wrong stories that would come in the future. And, you know, I, w- I don't want to dive too much into these because I have a feeling we will be talking about this topic more in later episodes. So I'm, I'm just going to kind of jump up uh, to another era, which I called the Kaiju era. And this is where we get like the large beasts and monsters that represented natural and man-made disasters like Godzilla, Gamera, Mothra, all that stuff. Once again, we pretty much covered this era with our eco-horror film, or I think it was the Mutated Beasts episode. Uh, but then we had the zombie era, which is where George Romero brought in his uh, films of Night of the Living Dead. And that's where we, you know, the, the Dead trilogy, the Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, all that. And these ones is where they took these uh, horrifying monsters, but added a societal, societal commentary to them and kind of showed how humans were also the monsters in this. I also looked at racism, too, and classism. Yes. Um, particularly the first one, um, Night of the Living Dead, because a black male was in the lead. Yes, he was. And was in charge. And they talk about that in the documentary. I always say this wrong. Um, is it horror noir? Uh, horror noir. Noir. Um, like, that was huge oh, at it that was. time. It's, you know, to be quite honest with you, it's still huge now, and it should not be. Like right. George and George, uh, go, sorry, Jordan Peele should not like his movies are amazing and like we all know how much I love him, but it's like it's taken that for us to be like oh yeah hey whoa whoa not typecasting right like so I think this though at Night of the Living Dead was the first real and it wasn't done purposely he was just the best fit for the part right exactly you know and I think that that is interesting that that's how we have interpreted it now or some of us do Mm -hmm. uh, but not the intention yeah oh absolutely and yeah like it left a huge impact on the the horror genre and kind of like the same thing with Dawn of the Dead that one spoke about consumerism and like our obsession with going to the malls and doing this over and over again just because we'd like to do it and it gave us like a 
sense of comfort. And so, like, yeah, this is kind of when the monsters, like, there was more, I can't remember the, but, like, there was more of a theme to it than just, like, ooh, big scary monster. But then, you know, we move into the 80s, which this is where the monsters of this time, such as Chucky, Freddy, Pinhead, all them, like, that was, like, the next step of icons. Like, the Universal Monsters were the icons of the era, and then now we got these 80s icons that ev- almost, I think almost everybody would know the names of these characters as well. And even if you're not a horror fan, you know who these characters are, one way or another. You've seen them. Um, but the audiences got to know these monsters, which, uh, which made them icons, but they, uh, wanted to, the, they wanted to see these monsters kill. Like, this is where you were rooting for the bad guy in these films, because they gave them such personality that they made them more entertaining to watch, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I also noticed a little theme that I was going to bring up, but like these ones were like Chucky and Freddy uh, and even Pumpkinhead were, yep. had a theme of revenge. Yep. Um, where Pumpkinhead was a re- different style of revenge. Chucky and uh, or Child's Play and Nightmare on Elm Street were about these killers getting revenge on the people after you know, they got wronged doing something vile themselves. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. just like a wrongdoing once again. And I mean, even same with uh, Jason Voorhees, the, along the lines of revenge, going after these counselors who killed his mother and then just continuing to haunt the grounds. But yeah, like Jason Voorhees was the, uh, you know, not, not the type that was doing this because uh, he was a bad person that got, you know, taken out and had to come back. No, it's just he was getting revenge for his mother's death. And uh, there is also a uh, gluttony of what I like to call the mischievous monsters movies. And this would be movies such as Gremlins, Critters, and Ghoulies. Of course, These, Gremlins. Always got to find a way to bring in Gremlins. Well, of Pretty course bad. I do. <laughs> Fucking Gremlins. Anyway. <laughs> you love it and you know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, these movies, they were malicious and uh mischievous but they all were like not really mean they were doing this more just for their own fun and causing chaos and it was like this weird trend in the 80s that i noticed that it was little monsters like not these big hulking behemoths nope these were just small little things but they swarmed you or just caused like mischief Mm -hmm. um like my pet monster yeah exactly and like after all that, like we ended up going into the '90s, and I didn't really find much with the monster evolution in the '90s besides one film that really st- stood out to me, and that would be Clive Barker's Nightbreed. Mm-hmm. And this is where uh, Clive Barker ends up uh, creating the story about where monsters are the good guys, based off his adaptation of his book Cabal. I'm going to read the synopsis, but it's Aaron Boone is haunted by terrifying nightmares of a city of monsters. He goes to see a psychiatrist, Dr. Decker, for help. But what Boone doesn't know is that Decker is really a serial killer. Decker frames Boone to take the fall for his murders, and Boone is killed by the police. Uh, But Boone is brought back to life by the monsters of his dreams, the Nightbreed, who in turn uh, joined Boone in his quest to stop Decker from killing again. And this one kind of brings along, like, this humans are terrified of the unknown so we are going to eradicate them 
and call because we call them monsters. But yet these monsters are living in peace and not hurting anybody. It's just uh, unfortunately these forces meet and bad things happen. And yeah, you, I think that's kind of where you start to see like more sympathy for a lot of these creature, these monsters moving on. And then uh, one, I found another another article that it kind of covers the modern aspects of monster movies. And that would be, uh, the article is called Why We Will Always Be Obsessed With and Afraid of Monsters by Leo Brody uh, from the conversation.com. And the, these types of movies in the modern day, I would like to call the monsters from within. Uh, the monsters from within is the monster generated by our own repressed dark psychology, the other side of our otherwise bland and blameless human nature. When nondescript and seemingly harmless young men and women turn into mass murdering killers or accidentally creating a monster from their own psyche. Mm. And films that I wanted to bring up that kind of go alongside with this is movies like The Babadook. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's a single mother plagued by the violent death of her husband. She battles with her son's fear of a monster lurking in the house, but soon discovers a sinister presence all around her. It's really a metaphor for the mother's grief. Once summoned, it or initially possesses the mother, leading to her becoming a monster of sorts, treating her son badly and hurting the family pet. In other words, rather than the Babadook being a real evil creature, the evil insider is what drove her, drove her actions. But yet on the screen, it was represented by a monster. Yep. And then the uh, next film I want to bring up that also ties with this for is called The Monster 2016 which is a divorced mother and her headstrong daughter must make an emergency late night road trip to see the girl's father. As they drive through deserted country roads on a stormy night, they suddenly have a startling collision that leaves them shaken, but not seriously hurt. Their car, however, is dead. And as they try in vain to get help, they come to realize they are not alone. A terrifying evil is lurking in the woods, intent on never letting them leave. Now, have you seen this movie, Heather? No, I haven't, but I think I've heard about it. Yeah, this one is uh, really fascinating because it covers addiction. Yeah, I'm seeing that. Yeah. Yeah, because the mother in the movie represents the mother's addiction to drugs and how it had all but consumed her everyday life. Now she must face her inner demons, so to speak, to protect her daughter. And the way they do that is just really well done. And the monster is absolutely horrifying. And I've started to see this trend with these modern day horror films like that yeah a lot of these monsters are now just like repressed psyches and just like issues that other people are having and mental illness and just, you know it's it's funny because mother of monsters is it's like that yeah right that we saw this year that both i think both of us have it at number one right now in our top yeah for 2020 films yeah uh but yeah that's kind of like i didn't get to find a lot of research on this one but because like a lot of the research I was finding is stuff we had already covered on our previous episodes. So I figured just like this little jump of the evolution chain and just kind of seeing where monster movies are now. And how well, I think are. you make a good point here about how it's become psychological now. And I sometimes find that trope annoying, um, depending on the film. Sometimes I really like it when they don't go down that road and it's not like, oh, it's a mental illness. It's something with the person. I do like it, but I do feel at times it can be overdone. I think 
I have not seen the Babadook and I have not seen monster. I've only seen mother of monsters and a couple other ones where I think it was done well, you know, where I think that that was a good way to portray it. But sometimes like (sighs) there's other movies and I, and I don't want to say one of them because it will spoil for whoever has seen it, but there's been another 2020 movie that came out this year that I think tried to do the same thing, but was very unclear with its ending. Um, And it, it wasn't done well. Like it was a cop out. And well, I'll, at the end of this, we can, you can tell me if you think, I'll tell you the name of the movie, but it was another 2020 theoretical release that came out. And I feel like it did something similar and it did a really shitty job of it. Um, Oh, gotcha. And I, I think that it's like people talk about the dream thing. I think it's, it's Watson and Venom that have an issue with, not an issue, but the, like the dream thing, like it's all just a dream or it's all in their head. I think yeah. it's Watson for all in your head and Venom and him both agree on the dream thing, uh, the dream fake out or whatever. And I, and I do agree with them. And I feel like that is the danger with doing the psychological monsters things. Like it starts off as a really cool concept, but then if it gets overused, it's boring. And maybe yep. that's why we're seeing the resurgence of things like the Invisible Man this year. We're beginning to go back to actual universal monsters and bringing that back in the forefront because there is a lot of psychologically shitty things that happen. Um, maybe sometimes it hits too close to home. Maybe too, sometimes it's just over overdone too much. Um, so yeah, I think you bring up a really interesting point because that is where we're at with monster movies. Yeah. Like, and I think now we're we're going back to universal monsters and some other things. Yep. I'll say, because like history does have a tendency to repeat itself because even throughout all this evolution, uh, the classical universal monster movies had been represented like throughout almost all these decades, like uh, the Hammer Horror films. You had Christopher Lee as Dracula and the Curse of Frankenstein movie and things like that where they were just a bit, uh, they were the same story concepts and all that but there was a little bit more added to it and just kind of fit for that time and then you know in the 80s we got like the vampire films like lost boys near dark and the werewolf films like the howling and american werewolf in london and people's different takes on these types of films and yeah we will see this con- this continue probably every other decade and like where these universal monster movies are just coming back these iconic monsters will always come back but there'll always be something new experimented on in between all that too i've noticed movie that i actually really like that talks about societal monsters is the village and yes i forgot about that one actually and i'm probably in the minority because i know our boss hates this movie but (laughs) um i like it and the reason why i like it is because so this is a spoiler for the village so make sure you put that in there um for those of you who have not seen the village it was based in, I guess, they're trying to reflect the, what, they, what you would think is maybe the 18th century, 17th century. And it's really just a group of people that have kind of gone back to a traditional way of living because they got tired of the evils of society. But even in this recluse, recluse community, you cannot escape evil. You cannot yeah. escape the monster of anger, of greed, of passion, of all those things. And really, that's what the village is about. And whether you like it or not, that's fine. But that's really what that movie is about, is these people trying so hard to escape the evils of society and the monsters, the modern-day monsters of society, by creating their own separate society and not not being successful. So, you know, I think that that was where it was well done, personally. 
but I think then there's other movies that have not done it as well. Or they've just like, yet again, beat the concept to death to yep. the point where you're like, all right, so no more, no more, no more. Like, let's get back to like an actual boogeyman in the dark. Let's get yeah, back exactly. to that. You know, let's not, oh, is it, it's all in their head or it was them the entire time. You know, like, let's get back to something that goes by bump in the night and that bump thing is actually there. Right. Yeah, because like we there's always the repeating trends that get beat to death like the zombie mm -hmm. film got beaten to death and that mm -hmm. and we needed to move on to something else because that started not becoming successful and mm -hmm. that'll happen again there'll be a new concept that comes out and then there'll be a bunch of movies that follow that concept till it gets put to the ground and then something new will come out it's just gonna that's why i like this there's, there's a constant evolution with these monsters and there's mm -hmm. a change or something new will get added to make them more relevant absolutely right so Thank you, Scott, for kind of setting me up to talk about what my research was based on. So we all know about monster movies, right? Um, I think a lot of people are familiar with them. I have, I would say, a basic, basic bitch knowledge of monster movies. The first length featured films to include what are regarded as monster movies were often classed as horror or science fiction films. The 1915 German silent film The Gollum, directed by Paul um, Wegener, is one of the earliest examples of films to create a creature. I don't know. Have you ever seen that movie? No, but that is funny that this is on the list because uh, this was uh, one of my questions for the horror trivia that we had to do. Did you get it right? I did just by randomly guessing. I had no idea there was a movie called this, and I got it right. So you just made up a total, a total made up the name in your head. Yeah, because of the description that, he gave, uh, that Brandon gave because it was uh, like, a monster made out of clay by a Jewish uh, scientist or something like that. And I'm going, well, that's a golem. So I'm just going to say the golem and hope it's right. And I got it right. I never would have got that. That's why I did not win at trivia. But <laughs> I had fun playing and we had a good time. And that's all that counts. That, that's all that matters. So anyway, um, well, very smart that you knew that. That's awesome. So the German expressionist Anoferatu in 1922 and the description, the description or depiction of a dragon in Fritz's Lang's die I don't know no probably gonna Where butcher this. this no yeah it's um die Nebelungen thank you in 1924 followed tradition in the 1930s American film studios began to produce more successful films of this type so then they started to move more to the gothic tales such as Dracula and Frankenstein both in 1931 and both heavily influenced by German Expressionism, followed by The Mummy in 1932 and The Invisible Man in 1933, classified as horror films. They included iconic monsters. You know, we see this again in the 90s and 2000s, present day. Think Lost Boys, Interview with a Vampire, Twilight. Now I know people are like, Twilight is not a good vampire movie. And I would agree, but there is vampires and werewolves in those movies, whether we yep. want to admit it or not. They, they do sparkle in the sun and they are quite beautiful. <laughs> the acting is quite painful, but fortunately yep. the movies were made. But they, uh, fit, they fit in the genre. They do. And you know what? Like they made a lot of money and they, and they gave some careers to Robert Patterson. So 
Yeah, exactly. We wouldn't have the lighthouse if we didn't have Twilight. Probably got him started. So, um, Mary, Mary Shellen's Frankenstein, Ginger Snaps, King Kong, and King Kong Skull Island, as well as we see the most recent release of Invisible Man and other such things. Uh, the Mummy, and I said specifically Brendan Fraser because I refuse to acknowledge the Tom Cruise film. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so we so. <sighs> what about these movies you know when i was looking at researching this i i always try to look at how does it tie into society and it just goes to show you that people will study anything so there is a group of psychologists that wrote a paper favorite movie monsters and their psychological appeal and it was published in a psychology magazine we have the information here from 2003 if you're interested in it and so we got to remember the date of 2003 because it's not going to include a lot of you know monsters of movies that have come out recently so this is dating back from 2003 down so we 17 been, years ago wow yeah, so we would have been <laughs> bibbis we would have been 20 but yeah Nevertheless, um, I think some of this information is still very much valid. So they did a survey and they surveyed over 1,166 people to establish what were individuals' favorite monster movies and why. Um, sample groups included uh, 557 females, 567 males, age of average was 34 and is skewed towards an, a younger population. So skewed means that, you know, even though the average age was 34, they had more younger people involved in the survey than older. And middle would have been 26 to 49 and older was over 52. So they talked about the importance of the 30s of the Frankenstein, Dracula, and Mummy era. These, monkey, these monsters were seen as outcasts from society to be pitted or even occasionally, as with Dracula, found to be attracted or sorry, found to be pitied or occasionally, as with Dracula, found to be unattractive. Audiences are said to identify with these monsters who are portrayed as existing outside of their normal community. So film monsters have input in themselves and our culture, and most people would recognize universal monsters before they would recognize the current vice president. Probably still stands true today. Yep. So the researchers for this study looked at four assumptions. Young people will prefer recent conceived monster movies, while older people will prefer vintage film monsters. So think of your Frankensteins or Draculas, Visible Man, stuff like that. That may have changed now with Invisible Man just being released in 2020, but as we said, the study was from 2003. Young people will prefer film monsters that are more violent and are more likely to kill a large number of people than older people. Young people rather than old people will be more likely to prefer film monsters that are attractive uh, because of their killing indication. So the idea is that the more they kill young people, are like, yay, you killed more people. Yep. And females. Kind of ties into uh, the whole Freddie and Chucky thing I was talking about earlier. Absolutely. Sorry. Females will prefer less violent monster movies than males. So as you were saying, Scott, um, absolutely. I think this ties into the fact that we would assume that females are softer and that they may not want to see as violent monsters. Right. Right. So result with few expect with few exceptions, males and females generally were attracted to the same type of movies. There were just a couple of differences. So men tend to enjoy the killing capacity of the monster and tend to like monsters that were classified as slashers. 
females tend to like more psychological killers and will sometimes prefer monsters that have a sensitive side and show compassion. So if we hmm. look into socialization, this is not a shock at all. No. So if we go with traditional gender roles, okay, um, and I'm, I'm looking at what has typically been seen as female and what has typically been seen as male, and especially back in 2003, because yes, obviously we had transgendered individuals during that time or individuals that um, identify with different genders. It wasn't as widely, we're, yeah. we're not widely accepted yet either, but it wasn't as well known or even talked about. So typically with little boys, you give them, you know, action figures, they have blue rooms or boy-like things. They're expected to play in roughhouse and be tough and, you know, brush it off, don't cry. Girls are expected to be sweet, to get along. Even things that we say to define girls. Oh, aren't you so polite? Mm, aren't you so lovely? And boys will say things like, aren't you so tough? Wow, you're so strong, right? So it's true. You know, it's it's different genderization. I took um, my undergrad in university was sociology, and I and I took a lot of sociology courses of gender and the family and stuff like that. And of course, this is dated. We're going back to two thousand and two to two thousand and six here. But um, you know, we do socialize gender. Gender oh, is yeah. you know, there's such thing as sex, which is assigned at birth, and gender is learned. So this isn't surprising that if we socialize females to females to be more sensitive to be more and keen to emotions they're going to be more likely to enjoy psychological care killers and the complexity of it and also be looking for that show of compassion anything you want to add or any thoughts on that no i think that sums that up perfectly like i because i can relate being when i was a little boy like the types of movies i liked were like movies such as Monster Squad and like obviously Jason and Freddy Krueger and like I always cheered for the killers and wanted to see more. Yep yep and that's you know I like that too and I can tell you as being a young lady I was into wrestling I like G.I. Joe's I like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and of course I love horror. I would probably argue that my interests are definitely more gender male specific than they are female but i'm very feminine i like to have my nails done i like to have nice clothes i enjoy having nice purses i um i wear heels anytime i can i like to wear dresses uh, my co-workers tease me because usually from about april to november i wear nothing but dresses or skirts to work every day like it's nice. the 1950s um but that's but yet here i am like talking smack about NBA or talking about wrestling or you know I tend to like action films I don't enjoy romantic comedies I don't like watching reality tv shows like there's certain things like I don't watch say yes to the dress or any of that stuff it's just not my jam you know so it's very interesting how I can and you know yet again we're talking about the stereotypical gender here that has been you know presented in media not whether this is right or wrong just particularly how i was raised and the impression that i got is that i'm so girly in some areas and then so masculine in others and there's not a lot of females sometimes that do that that are open about that or, or talk about it as much yeah well i was saying probably would be uh kind of looked down upon by other women or maybe not looked down upon but like kind of just no it is you know carly and i talked about this so carly is um, a host of his and her podcast netflix and chill and m versus m movie reviews i think it is yep um, and then cinema 
Siloid uh, dissections. Oh, celluloid dissections. Yes. Yeah. So she listened to any of her shows. Um, her and I talked about this, and definitely with other females, it's considered weird. It's considered weird to to be into horror. Now, my girlfriends have come a long way and are embracive of my horror stuff now, and and very supportive. But it wasn't always that way. You know, I got this lovely horror trivia games for my birthday, but it it wasn't always that way. So I think we are beginning to progress more now, but definitely it's it's been getting there for females. Yeah. Anyway, um, younger people tend to prefer more recent monster movies like Freddy Krueger and slashers like Monsters because of their high body count. As one gets older, the interest in dairy violent films go down. I hear this all the time from people. I hear this from women that become mothers and get older that they can't handle the films they used to watch since they've had kids. I hear it from yep. dudes as well. Have you, have you found anything valid with this? Is this something you've heard as well? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, especially with... Uh couple of my guy friends that are parents there are certain films that they refuse to watch ever again now because of this mm. or any new film that has something like this this will make them extremely uncomfortable it's interesting right like it's just how you're how things change for you and your intensity and one of the reasons why young people are the ones that like roller coasters so much is because roller coasters mess up the matter and the liquid between your brain right so you're going all through this like it's it's screwing up your sense of gravity yeah so when you get off the roller coaster when you're young the recovery time is quick like you'll get off that roller coaster and maybe you won't even be two seconds away from or two steps away from the roller coaster and you're like woohoo let's go on again i remember going on we have a big theme park out here called canada's wonderland and we have a ride called top gun and it simulates like uh, the jets in Top Gun, right? So you go upside down, you go really fast and, you know, they, you spin in the air and it's, it's intense. And I remember when I was young going on that roller coaster like six times in a row, like oh, again wow. and again and again <laughs> and again, like 17 year old Heather, right? So about, I don't know now, eight years ago, I, I went to Canada's Orlando. I was 30 actually, so seven years ago. And I went on a roller coaster with my ex-husband and I got off and we needed to rest for 15 minutes. We needed to sit on the side and like literally we're like, hee, and we were exhausted. <laughs> we were exhausted from this fucking roller coaster because you're older and your body can't take it as yep. much as you were able to at a young age. And I think the same can go with intensity. Now that's not for everybody. You can meet people in their fifties that can still do those roller coasters and can still watch those violent movies and they're fine. But you, we do tend to have breasts of a threshold for violence, adrenaline related things, roller coasters as we age. Oh, for sure. And our tastes in these types of horror films and things like that change as we get older. Like we start relating with certain things kind of like films we were talking about in our what we watch segment like i don't think i would have ever been affected by the taking of deborah logan if i watched that 15 years ago 20 years ago like i am now like you you grow and you develop and you change right and what affects you at this one age and what affects you at another age are going to be very different so this study makes a lot of sense um and of course older people tend to be attracted to monster movies like frankenstein so yeah. And overall, people stated that their favorite monster movies were super, so their favorite monsters, so if for a monster to be considered the best, it had to have the following characteristics. It had to be superhuman. It had to be, or have superhuman strength, I should say. It had to be very intelligent. It had to be pure evil. It had to be um, not morally constrained. 
and it showed us the dark side of nature. So obviously this goes against what some females tend to prefer, but as we could go back to their original statement, that difference wasn't that much, you know? So that's why we still have the push that people want to see these characteristics in their monsters. The least important characteristics. So these were the characteristics that nobody cared about. So there's a whole bunch in between. There was about 35 characteristics, but I honestly only focused on the top five and the bottom five. Because okay. no one cares about the middle, right? Like we'd be here all day reading off the characteristics and I don't care. <laughs> right. The top five are the top five. So the ones that nobody cared, nobody cared, was can have sex whenever he or she wants. Hmm. Killing the serving teenage males. Killing the, ser the serving teenage females. So what does that tell you about one of our favorite slashers? Friday the 13th, I'm guessing is what you're relating to. Yes, yes. Jason is who I'm referring to, yes. He, um, <laughs> he did kill a fair amount of people. I believe he has the highest yeah. body count. So if we look at what people like. He does have superhuman strength. Yeah. He's fairly intelligent for a slasher. Yeah. You know, he is able to pull off a lot of murders. He is purely evil. Um, there's no hesitation, no compassion. He doesn't have any moral constraints. And he does show us the dark side of human nature. Yep. Right? But yet, we didn't care as much about him killing teenage males and teenage females. Those are just body counts. Okay, I, I was confusing myself. But yeah, okay, I see where this is going. Yep. Right? Like, they're, they're just there. That's not what attracts us to him. What attracts us to him, according to the study, is, and this sample group, is these characteristics that we just listed. Yeah. That's interesting, say, right? That nails it on the head pretty good, too. Right. Um, and then finally, the last thing that didn't matter is experienced at first as a child and likes the way the monster uses humans for reproduction. I think that's species. Like, it's not, like I can't think of, or aliens. Um, breeders is another one. There's like a lot of like the low budget ones, uh, humanoids from the deep and stuff like that. Yeah, so that to people wasn't of interest. But those characters that are popular, and we'll get into some of them, were popular for these other reasons. So favorite monsters by age. So what they did is they broke down the age of everyone in the study and stated what most of their favorite monsters were. So people that were around the age of 18, scream killers. So I guess the mask, Ghostface, they identified as anyone wearing that mask as one of their favorite killer killers. And that movie came out in 1996, the original, and has since had a revised television series, and I believe they're looking at making a remake. So, you know, it's obviously a very, very popular killer. And at that time, we would have been, in 2003, I would have been 20, and I think you would have been 21 or 22. Yep. Yeah, so that would have been, like, right around that time, that era, like, Five years before that would have been when Scream came out. Or, right. well, sorry, seven years before that. So it would make sense that that's what this most recent generation at that time would have been responding to. The second one was It. Now, obviously, this is 2003, so the remake wasn't done yet. So it's referring to the 1990 version. Which, that's actually really surprising because of, you know, Pennywise. Like, that was 1990? But think about when the study was done, 2003. Uh, yeah, so we would have been kids, yep. Exactly. How old would a 19-year-old been? Probably for prime age for watching that. Yeah, that and makes that a lot of sense. that would have been when they found that scary, right? This goes back to what you, you know, did experience as a child. Um, so even though they didn't rank that as high when they said that's what they cared about, 
it was still obviously something that came up. Like if you were exposed to that miniseries, which really is like kind of cheesy, cheesy, cheese now. When you oh, watch so it. is. Um, but it's a really good point. Candyman, age 20. Yet again, that movie came out in what, 93, 92? I think 92. Yeah, I think um, it was 92. Yet again, ties back to what you would have seen. 21, Chucky. Yep, late right? 80s. Michael Myers, 22. Now, this is dating back to the 1978 film, not the Rob Zombie make, remake. Um, the Exorcist Girl. They didn't even know the name of it. They didn't even know Linda Blair. <laughs> they just called her The Exorcist Girl. So 23. You were 23 years old. That was a movie that, or a monster that they identified. Age 24, Freddy Krueger. Again, we're looking at the time frames here, right? Yeah. When would you have been exposed to these films? 25, Jason Voorhees. And then we have a little bit of a gap, okay? So there could have been not a lot of people that were 26, 27 years old in this study. So it jumps right to Hannibal. So Hannibal from Silence of the Lambs came out in 1990, more psychological, 28. So if 1990 is when Hannibal came out and they're 28, they would have probably been in their late teens seeing that movie. Yeah. So, of course, they're more advanced. They're going to be more interested in that. If we look at when kids were younger and they were scared of, you know, Scream is something because they've seen it recent. But for the 19-year-olds, well, I saw It when I was a kid and that scared me. I saw Candyman as a kid and that scared me. I saw Chucky as a kid and that, and that scared me. Those are basic slasher stuff. Now, Candyman, you could argue, is a little more psychological. But we jump to Hannibal. That's all psychological. Oh, yeah. Right? So – what how interesting how that age reflects what they go back to and then we can see predator at 29 darth vader at 20 sorry predator at 29 tied with darth vader at 29 as well as their two scary monsters that they were most connected with individuals that were 32 connected with jaws and, and they put in brackets the shark <laughs> um 33 beast from beauty and the beast in 1991 how interesting is that wow yeah i was like really but if you think of if there was a lot of females that were 33 which we didn't have the data on and we look at psychological and pity and you know the love story between beauty and the beast maybe that's why yeah wow right? interesting age 33 also we saw werewolves but they were referring back to the 1941 werewolf um also a uh, wolfman probably yes yes but they just called it werewolf yeah <laughs> so 33 as well a lot of people said vampire and they were referring back to the 1931 dracula interesting and then godzilla for people that were 34, they identified Godzilla, and that was the one from 1975. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. And then alien creatures from Alien. If you were 35, that's what you connected with. Uh, 36, Terminator, which is hilarious because we just covered the Terminator with the uh, lovely gentleman from Horror for Dummies. And yeah, we you did. Can listen to that on our page where we talk about whether it's horror or not. So obviously, you know, Tim is, Tim is too um, not relevant for the study because it was in 2003 and he was like not even thought of in 2003. I'm just kidding. He's not that young. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so like interesting, 36 years old, they represented with Terminator. And yet again, if we go back to when people were watching these movies, with the exception of 
the people that were 33 and 34 with the 1930s and 40s movies. And you know what that made me think of? It made me think of people in our community that like to watch older horror films. And yeah. are, they're the ones being like, ah, well, that was great because the original one was done in 1926. And the rest of us are sitting there like, uh-huh. Like we have no uh, idea. Right, we're <laughs> right exactly. That's like my everyday life talking to like Jerry, who was like in a thing, and Derek. Um, Derek B from cinema attacks and no more room in hell because they are like an encyclopedia of knowledge of like dated stuff and i'm like i have no idea what they're talking about half the time so you know that's i think who that characteristic group was was referring to then we have the thing so individuals that were 37 represented with the thing but the thing from 1951 yeah that's very interesting right and i have no understanding why that is and i think we'll leave it up to the listeners to figure that one out i don't know if it's just because they didn't like the remake because what happens to people in their 30s right now when things are remade? Yep, they are not happy with it. Right. So maybe they were like, nah, it's not as good as the original. Right. Um, yeah. The Mummy. So for those that were 39, they really connected with The Mummy from 1958. Those were, who were 40 connected with The Blob from 1950. So these individuals that were 40 in 2003 would be 57 now. To give you an idea of how much time has passed. Yeah. Right? Um, E.T. for individuals that were age 44 came on the list. Yeah, that's, I guess maybe it's because it's not as scary. Maybe. Um, maybe it was just because that was their jam at the time. I don't know. Um, 44, Frankenstein from 1933. 46, Jack Nicholson, The Shining. They didn't even say the name. They said Jack Nicholson. <laughs> that's which, great. Which really, like, what do you remember from that movie, right? Is I remember Jack Nicholson is the first thing that comes to mind as well, right? Like that's, yeah. he's iconic in that role. 48, if you were age 48, you represented to the, to the Gill Man from Black Lagoon, 1954. And if you were 52, which was the oldest that people admitted to that their age was in this study, <laughs> um, you connected with King Kong from 1933. Yeah, I could see that one totally. Right? It's interesting. Very, very interesting. So the top five monsters were the following out of 25. Dracula was number one. Godzilla was number two. Frankenstein was number three. Freddy Krueger was number four. And King Kong was number five. So as part of the Friday Nightmares half of this podcasting team, I like to let you know that my monster is better than your monster because my monster got number four and yours got number eight. Jason Voorhees was number eight on this list. <laughs> that, if, I'm wondering if, he, if that might be because uh, Freddy is uh, a better monster. Yes, yes, that is well, why. He's more uh, iconic. I think he's more iconic, and I think if you look at the psychological piece to it, that is something that is probably some something that most people find engaging especially if we're looking that females value psychology more than they valued um slashing because freddie didn't necessarily in all the movies have a high kill count you know some no. of the movies he only killed what part five that you did with kill the cast where yes he only killed how many people three yep three people so you know i think if we look at that for example that could be why but his kills were so intense and over the top at times now there's obviously podcasters out there that would argue that and say jason had better kills i don't know what do you think uh but no i'd say uh for the kills like jason has more of them 
But no, I think Freddy Krueger's kills are way more creative. Right. So, and I think that's why it was higher on the list. Not because I think Freddy's a better monster. I, mean, I just say that to, you know. Movies you. aside, I think Freddy is a better monster. Like, mm. just the, as a monster himself. But, like, the movies themselves, I just prefer Jason and all that stuff. The Friday the 13th franchise. Of course you do. Anyway, <laughs> um, Michael, other notable ones, Michael Myers ranked six on this list. The Mummy and Chucky were tied at 12 and Werewolves were 19. And then everything else was kind of in between. But yet again, I did just want to read out. I don't want this to become me just reading out numbers. I thought the age things were most relevant, which is why I acknowledged those. And then I just wanted to pull out some other fun facts. So some other interesting notes and quotes from the study. So vampires engaged viewers because of their intelligence and because they never die and they don't age. So if we look at Interview with a Vampire that came out in 1994, Louis and Lestat were sexy. Like, first yep. of all, you took Tom Cruise, which, by the way, is the favorite actor of the Horror for Dummies um, podcast. They love Tom Cruise. <laughs> They'll probably they, be doing a special sometime yep. soon on it. Well, I think they're going to be doing a whole podcast on Tom Cruise. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they love him so much because he does his own stunts. Yep. Um, but he, during this movie, like, I think whether you're a fan of him or not, you have to admit he was a good-looking dude. He was at the heartthrob time of, of who he was. And same with Brad Pitt. So they hired two of the sexiest actors to yeah, be in this film. Tom Cruise did an amazing job as Lestat. Yes, he did. You know, and so did Brad Pitt. Like, he was great as well yeah um and it was very sexy you know it was engaging it, it got us interested and engaged in vampires and then we have bram stroker's dracula from 1992 where he's searching for his reincarnated wife and i remember that movie being pretty sexy as well yep. you know it both movies really marketed on their sex and then if we look at recent movies such as blitz which you and i debated whether it was about vampirism or not and then we found an article from the director saying that it was um it, the main character is infected with a drug that causes vampirism and and she has to fight her urges for blood and it's a sex you have a threesome in it you have a sexy threesome that occurs right in the beginning yep. of the film you know so sex and vampirism seem to go hand in hand so it makes sense that that would be attractive because females will be attracted to sex same with men no matter what your sexual preference is you're going to be attracted to sex of some kind so it makes a lot of sense why this is high any thoughts on that scott yep and i was gonna say and then the uh fascination of just never growing old i mean look at the movie like lost boys they just want to uh stay young forever and I mean, what person at that, around that age wouldn't want to stay their youngest and the best looking that they were? You know what's funny is I'm better looking now than I was when I was 16. Oh, same here. I, at least I feel yeah. I am better looking now, too. Right. Well. Scott and I seem to think we're better looking. People will be coming through our Facebooks after this. And the second quote that I want to talk about or, or thought that came from it is Freddy Krueger, one of the slasher monsters, is particularly highlighted as pure evil and horrifying. So I thought about what else is like that? Well, in Hellraiser, Pinhead, he, he is horrifying and evil and psychological because he, he toes that line between sex, death, torture, and pleasure. You yeah. know, that's really what Hellraiser is all about. And he does a great job of bringing that terror to the screen along with the other Cenobites, but he's really the, the big boss man, right? Yes, he is. And uh, just 
because it's almost like he's doing a job. And mm-hmm. it's not like it's, I wouldn't even, I, would, I almost don't even want to say he's evil besides the fact of the, him being like a creature from another world. Absolutely. And then we have uh, Michael Myers, and I just used the 1978, silent killer with no known motive, but was given motive by other storytelling. So if we look at Halloween 4, 5, and 6 and the cult and the sibling relationship that's talked about in those movies, as well as we look at Rom Zombie's movies, yeah. uh, where he kind of gives Michael a reason for doing the killings that he's doing you know it kind of justifies it and gives that psychological spin to it that you talked about earlier and then finally we look at the strangers from 2008 and 2018 a group of individuals who stalk and kill for no reason you know we have no idea why they're doing what they're doing but they're doing it yep there i mean that famous line why are you doing this because you were here you were home or yeah because you were home i got that on trivia so that's how i know that (laughs) jason didn't get that one right but jason got everything else right so it's okay (laughs) <laughs> shouts out to jason lloyd who runs horophilia congratulations on your win against me for trivia so frankenstein scored high on comparison and sensitivity in the fact of his both being an outcast and example where science can go wrong so where else have we got characters that are like this well what about carrie oh absolutely talk, right talk about a social outcast who is bullied by her peers and um her oppressed by her over religious zealous mother uh, with their Christian beliefs and how she kind of snaps towards the end. Yeah, that is a perfect example. Right. The Pit, 1981. I know that your friend Randall likes this movie. I like yep. it too. Uh, a young boy uses a pit to get revenge on those who wronged him. And definitely this kid's a outcast. You feel sorry for him and he finds this pit and this pit does things and he uses it to get revenge. And see, this is one I still need to see. Yeah, so not bad 1980s film. It's a Canadian film too by the way. Of course it is. Because everything good comes from Canada, especially poutine. And that explains why you've seen it too. <laughs> no. I know, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm a Canadian. I have to watch all the Canadian films. Um, <laughs> the Phantom of the Opera, going back to 1925, when it was a silent movie with 12 movies after that. Um, probably the most known is the 2004 version by Andrew Lloyd Webber and the most recent adaptation, Love Never Dies in 2012. You know, the Phantom is a perfect picture of somebody who you feel sorry for, but is a, is a psychological mess and a killer. Yep. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen the movies or know anything about. The oh story. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what do you think of the, of the musical or the movies or the Phantom in general? I love them. And spe- like, I especially love that Gerard Butler one like that. Like that's one of my favorite musicals of all time. You know, um, what shocked me is how well he could sing. Yeah. Yeah, like I was very impressed by his vocal performance. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> no. Nope. Um, I saw it live in Vegas, and uh, the chandelier actually drops. Nice. Over top of the audience. And I took my ex-husband. We were dating. I shouldn't say took him. We went together. Um, we were dating at the time. And I remember he got really upset and worried about the Phantom. And he was like, you know, it's not fair what's happening to him. Like... And he got really into the story. And I think it's because you really do feel for the Phantom and Christine. And then you have this other, the protagonist, the other dude, I can't remember his name right now. And I think it's a really well done story. And it speaks to the fact that it's been done 12 times. Right. It's probably one of the longest running musicals. It was one of the longest running musicals in Toronto for years. We actually even had a theater named after it. It was called the Fantasia Theater. theater. Oh, nice. So popular, right? So, you know, that's a great example. And then finally, the psychological 
um, killer, I shouldn't say finally, we have still a couple more, the psychological killer from unsuspected items, so example is Chucky, well, we can also look at any of the Annabelle movies. Yep. <laughs> right? That's also about a doll that's possessed, as well as Puppet Master, and their multiple sequels, and also the Banana Splits movie. Um, yes, I love that you brought that into this. Right? Like, the robots start killing people, and it's like evil Chuck E. Cheese, except for Snor- Snorty- Snorky the elephant that is kind and compassionate, which leads us to our next set of creatures. So, King Kong. The reflection of sympathy and is rated as having the highest sensitivity. He's like Godzilla, who reacts out of protection. So we could look at Moby Dick from the 1930s, a whale tired of being hunted, fighting back. Pumpkinhead, who's summoned to bring revenge on those who have cursed, who have caused harm. Or The Grudge, or Juwan, wronged in life, and now it haunts people that come back into the house because it the, it was a ghost of someone that was savagely murdered. Yep. So... It was interesting how this is, you know, yet again, a study that looked at why people relate with different monster films, um, how that how that has shaped their decisions and their choices. And if we look back to when these people would have been younger or maybe more impressionable, we can see that that's when a lot of these monsters took place for them with the exception of the 19 year olds because what they're being exposed to right at that time would have been the Scream films, right? Right. Or that would have been like they were 12 or whatever watching Scream. So what we see when we're younger, when we're still susceptible to this whole idea of monsters and boogeyman and what's under the bed really plays out. So I guess that would cover our creature feature finale. Yeah, that was, uh, I, I especially love that uh, survey. That is very fascinating. Yeah, it was really cool. And I thought it was a, you know, a fun little facts and we're going to be posting the link to it. So if anyone wants to look it up, they absolutely can. It's a really cool study and it just goes to show you that you can be paid to study anything. <laughs> right. Right. I'll say, I wish I could get paid to study that stuff. <laughs> hey, you get to study horror movies. Really? I know, Yay. right? Living your best life right there. Yeah, no kidding. If only we could get paid to podcast as well. Well, that's what Patreon is, technically. <laughs> that is true. We're just not good enough for Patreon. <laughs> I don't know, maybe one day. When we make it to episode 102, you know, five years from now, we'll look at that. Right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, that is the end of our main topic of monsters and the things that go bump in the night. And, yeah, I will say this has been a... Uh, fascinating dive into these creature features and it's nice to finally be able to wrap this up with a nice little bow and be able to move on to our uh, next unique subject whatever that will be when we decide it well we have a list of subjects we came up with those and then creature features kind of just overtook uh, March and April so we'll have to go back and look at our list to see where we go next so uh, stay yeah. tuned yeah it'll be fascinating to see yeah um But yeah, I guess we can uh, move on to our what we are looking forward to segment. Um, I'll say it looks like yours is up first. Uh, You want to give that talk about that? I sure do. Um, I am so pumped for the Fear Street movie that should be coming out this year. Um, The proposed release date was June. Obviously, that may not happen now because of hashtag COVID-19. But um, hopefully it gets released later this year. So for any of those of you that are not familiar with Fear Street, it's a series of books written by R.L. Stein, who also wrote the Goosebumps series. And I was a massive Fear Street fan. Like to the point that when a new book was released, I would race to the library to put it on hold. So I would be the first one to pick it up. Nice. Um, Why did I not buy the books? Because I was poor. (laughs) 
some money to go out and buy books all the time. And my parents would have been like, you have a library card, go use oh, that. And that would have been a lot of books. It would have been a lot of books. I had a girlfriend that has all of them, though. She oh, nice. Them. Yeah, and Christopher Pike as well. She was a big fan of him. Oh, my God. I actually almost brought up Christopher Pike to you in our conversation, like when we were talking about this show, because that was those are the books I remember. That's a shame that you didn't read Fear Street more. Because Christopher Pike is great. Don't get me wrong. But Fear Street was, I, mean, I don't know, maybe it's more chick books. I don't know. But I, I dug Fear Street. My favorite series uh, was The Babysitter. And The Babysitter follows uh, a young lady named Jenny Jefferson who continues um, babysitting for this family all through these four books, like different families. And stuff happens to her each time. And the story built on each other so and i would love if that's a movie it's probably not but i would still love it and then there's another series that i really liked called the fear street saga which talks about the development of fear stream but there's one book in particular and i think it was called the boyfriend and i loved this book so much because there was a and i still remember reading this and it talked about this girl bringing this guy home and this guy didn't really know who the girl was and they start like she brings him inside and they start kissing and making out and stuff like obviously they didn't have sex it was fear street books right like it was meant for like 13 14 year olds but yeah. i remember like it described her like pushing off his hat and then kissing and me being like oh my god that sounds so awesome right <laughs> <laughs> I was like an orange dog from the age of like 14 on. Um, I mean, who wasn't at that point? Well, yeah, but for females, it's less like talked about, right? Like I'm, a, I'm pretty open about sex and stuff like that. Like I'm very vocal and stuff, especially being in my late 30s. Like I'm just like, who cares? I don't care what people think of me anymore. But, you know, being a young person, I remember being like, ooh, that sounds really romantic. Ooh, that sounds really awesome. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Reading these fucking Fear Street books. Anyway, um, so it, that, I'm very much looking forward to Fear Street. Sorry, my dog barking there threw me off a little bit of my train of thought. That's all right. Um, so Fear Street movie to me, I, I've been looking at it and it says that it's going to be like a trilogy. It's going to be connecting... Um, the movies to each other and i'm really excited for that because i really enjoyed scary stories to tell in the dark i thought it was great yeah. um so i'm really pumped for fear street and i'm hoping they do a really good job of it as well yeah i am very fascinated because i had no idea this was even going to be a movie until we started talking and becoming friends and you told me about it and i'm going really like i, I am very curious to see what they do with this um i i know i've read a few of the books and I was trying to look through that list that you sent me to try to remember which ones they were, but none of the titles rung a bell. I think I would have to look at every single cover because I remember the covers more than I do the actual books, like the titles. So I'm thinking that may be why, but like the stories themselves, like they're lost to me in my brain. So I'd, I, I'm a, cause I did read a lot back in the day when I was a kid. Yeah, I read a lot too. Now that I'm in grad school, all I read is more like boring stuff and horror movie stuff for when we have to record. Um, but man, I would read Fear Street stuff again. I don't care if it makes me look young and immature. I, I love those books. I thought they were great. And I'm so pumped for this movie. So pumped. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do with it. And hopefully, you know, it still comes out this year. Like everything's still up in the air right now. So yeah, so yeah the thing I'm looking forward to... Uh, this got announced today, or not today, this week, and it's uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark 2 uh, is been greenlit by Paramount. And uh, 
Andre Overdahl is returning as the director. So I'm, I, I loved the first movie. Like I, it nailed everything. Cause I was a fan of those books when I was growing up and it nailed everything about those books. Like the creatures were right from the pages. Everything just looked really cool. And it was a great entry horror for like a younger generation and still highly entertaining for people our age, especially if you've read these books. And to see that they're actually going to be coming out with a part two, I'm very happy because I know the first one was not a success box office wise. So I was worried about that. But to see that they're actually going to come through with it. Yeah, that's freaking awesome. And I'm very curious to see what stories they end up uh, tying into this one. Well, and how they're going to continue, right? Yeah. Because obviously they're looking at continuing it from the original characters that are left alive or whatever. Yeah, but I'll say, because I think they left off going to look for one of the characters or something like that. Yeah, yeah. They set it up for a sequel, for sure. Um, oh, yeah. And that's, I love it. I, I thought they were great. I thought it was a great adaptation. Yep, and seeing the director return, that's that's just a very good sign, too. So I'm very excited, because he's the same guy that did uh, Autopsy of Jane Doe and Troll Hunter, and to see them these getting these big main box office uh, movies to do now is really cool to see that his career is going upwards. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, that is uh, the few things that we are looking forward to. We were going to look for some trailers, but we were having a hard time finding much right now because of, you know, things going on in the world. But thank you all very much for joining us today. Uh, this was a blast had a uh, very fun time diving into these creature features and like i was saying can't look can't wait to see what we end up doing next um but we should give our plugs so you can check us out on uh legion podcast network spotify if you're uh, subscribed to kill the cast we are under that banner so just yep, subscribe to kill the cast you'll see the friday nightmares pop up we have a couple bonus episodes that will be like have been released and uh we're just kind of chugging out content left and right right now while this is all going on you we also have our friday nightmares podcast uh facebook page so go ahead and co come join us over there we have a lot of discussions over there with uh horror movie topics and stuff so it's a lot of fun we are also co-hosts of it's not horror okay with uh good old nudie android virus and uh venom and we just did the last episode, which was Hell Comes to Frogtown, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was, it was a good time. And yep. And like Heather had mentioned earlier, we also were both on the Horror for Dummies podcast talking about Terminator. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, you most recently did a uh, guest spot. Why don't you talk about that? <laughs> and I was recently, as of last night, on Double Edge, Double Bill with... Um, Thomas, Thomas Mariotti and Adam Thomas, which messes me up a little bit. Yep. Um, and we were talking about the non-classic Independence Day resurgence and Gremlins 2. And as we all know about um, Scott's insane love for Gremlins the, 2 the and everything that is Gremlins, um, there's a pot twist in that review. So we will obviously share it to our page when it is released, but I think listeners will be very surprised to hear what I have to say. Yeah, I have a feeling they will as well, and I can't wait to hear the episode. I am looking forward <laughs> to a big time. <laughs> so yeah, uh, until next time.
unpleasant dreams. Thank you.